Welcome to the Kickstart Garage, where we want to inspire and educate the leaders of tomorrow. Join us as we learn from the best in the business. Welcome back to the Kickstart Garage. I'm your host, Sam John Byrne. And on today's show, I'm going to go through the key takeaways from Stephanie Kelton's The Deficit Myth, Modern Monetary Theory and How to Build a Better Economy. For those of you who listened to our previous podcast, specifically the Bitcoin episode, you would have heard me briefly talk about modern monetary theory. Some of you may even be familiar with it, but let me assure you, it's not a new idea. In, in fact, modern monetary theory essentially describes the monetary system in which we operate. Perhaps not really here in Ireland or for any member nation of the Eurozone, but definitely for countries that possess monetary sovereignty, such as America, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, China, and many more. Before we continue on, let me just clarify the definition of monetary sovereignty, as it's a term that gets thrown around a lot in the MMT community. Essentially, monetary sovereignty is the power of the state to exercise exclusive control over its currency. And it has two important characteristics. The currency issuer doesn't promise to convert currency into something that could run out, i.e. it's not pegged to gold. And two, the currency issuer refrains from borrowing in currencies that aren't their own. And the first time I stumbled upon MMT was through a conversation that I had with a colleague. He came and landed this paper on my desk one day and it was called um, Soft Currency Economics by Warren Mosler. And it absolutely turned everything that I learned in college about monetary operations on its head. And it it just presented a completely different way of thinking about monetary operations. A simple one that's kind of really hard to dispute. In fact, the pap- that paper um, that was uh, wrote by Warren has never been refuted. Um, so before we get into the key takeaways from the book, let me just give you a bit of background on Stephanie Kelton. Stephanie Kelton is an American economist and academic. She is professor at Stony Brook University and senior fellow at the Schwartz Center for Economic Policy Analysis at the New School for Social Research. She was formerly a professor at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, she also served as an advisor on the Bernie Sanders 2016 presidential campaign. And Kelton studied business uh, finance and economics at California State University, Sacramento, earning a BS and BA in 1995. She received a Rotary Scholarship to study economics at the University of Cambridge, receiving her master's degree in 1997. On a fellowship from Christ College, Cambridge, Kelton then spent a year at the uh, Levy, I think it's Levy yeah, Economics Institute of Bard College, Uh, She obtained a PhD in economics from the New School for Social Research in 2001 with her dissertation, Public Policy and Government Finance, a Comparative Analysis under Different Monetary Systems. And perhaps avid Irish podcast listeners may have heard of her from the David McWilliams podcast, as she's frequently a guest on the show, and also recently gave a talk at the Docky Book Festival. Um, Also, David McWilliams is the only economist in Ireland that I've heard of so far talk about modern monetary theory. And he has some good discussions on the podcast, so I definitely recommend you check them out if you want to learn more. Okay, let's park the general introductions and get into the juicy stuff. Uh, For those of you that remember or are really into economic and financial history, I want you to cast your minds back to the financial crisis of 2008 to 2009 and ask yourself this question. How come during that period, Greece, a member of the European Union, defaulted on their debt? Remember the definition of monetary sovereignty? The power of the state to exercise exclusive legal control over its currency? Well, 
unfortunately, when Greece joined the European Union, it gave up its power to exercise exclusive legal control over its currency, as did every other member state in the EU. And yes, that's including Ireland. Uh, Greece, according to Kelton, began its journey into turbulent economic waters when it abandoned its national currency, the drachma, in 2001 and adopted the euro. By doing so, the country gave up its monetary sovereignty. It no longer was able to print the currency to pay its debts. In fact, this alone was one of the biggest flaws in the formation of the European Union. But don't just take my word for it. During an interview with Charlie Rose, Warren Buffett was asked to comment on the sovereign debt crisis in the EU and how it would affect the states. Quoting directly from the interview, I don't know what's going to happen over there. I know 17 countries that joined the European Union gave up the right to print their own money. That was a huge, huge decision. I hope the United States never does it. It changes the game. If Greece owed their money in drachma, they'd have a lot of inflation and they devalue their currency and all, but they wouldn't have any problem paying their bonds. In the book, Kelton also quotes Buffett saying, the US cannot have a debt crisis of any kind as long as it keeps issuing our notes in our own currency. So let's go through the key takeaways from the deficit myth that help explain monetary operations. The objective of the book, according to Stephanie Kelton, is to drive the number of people who believe the deficit is a problem closer to zero. We will show you how MNT demonstrates that the federal government is not dependent on revenue from taxes or borrowing to finance its spending and that the most important constraint on government spending is inflation. And while many of the principles laid out in this book are demonstrated in the context of the US, they apply to any nation with monetary sovereignty. In other words, any nation with a power to control their currency. So just to give you a high level overview of the key takeaways, there's follows. Distinguishing between currency users and currency issuers, the myth of overspending, and the truth about national debt. So let's kick it off with the first one, distinguishing between currency users and currency issuers. As I'm sure many of you believe that in order for the government to spend, it needs to raise taxes so that it can fund that spending, right? That's that's the conventional thinking. And while this may be true for nations that have no control over their currency, it's certainly not for nations that do, despite you know the mass misconception. Governments love the conflation of household budgeting with public finances. This narrative provides greater relatability and connection to its constituents. But Kelton believes it's not founded in reality of our economic systems. The best way to distinguish the difference between currency users and issuers and the role of taxes is through an extract taken from the paper, Soft Currency Economics by Warren Mosler, which Kelton also highlights in her book. The concept of fiat money which is the money that we use now, whether it be euro, dollar, whatever, can be illuminated by a simple model. Assume a world of a parent and several children. One day the parent announces that the children may earn business cards by completing various household chores. At this point, the children won't care a bit about accumulating their parents' business cards because the cards are virtually worthless. But when the parent also announces that any child who wants to eat and live in the house must pay the parent, say, 200 business cards each month, the cards are instantly given value and the chores begin to get done. The value has been given to the business cards by requiring them to, to be used to fulfill a tax obligation. And I suppose following up on that, the best way to think about it is to ask yourself which came first, taxes or money. Suppose taxes came first. Well, then where did citizens get the money to pay those taxes? Uh, firstly, the government creates the tax obligation and then spends the currency into the system 
so that citizens can earn that currency in order to settle the tax obligation. In the example above, the chores are the tax obligation and the currency is the business cards. Um, so for illustrative purposes, let's su- suppose a nation wants a military. Well, how does it do that? It starts with the tax liability. So let's say the government imposes a tax liability on everyone's home of $100 a month. Um, at this point, individuals won't have currency to pay that obligation. So how do they get that currency? They go serve in the military in order to earn the government currency so that they can settle the tax obligation. Now the state has a military. The same concept could be applied in order for the state to improve infrastructure or build hospitals or provide education or have a, get judges, the whole, the whole thing. Whole nine yards, as they would say. Um, but in the conventional way of thinking about fiscal policy, we assume taxes and borrowing precede spending. In reality, currency issuers spend before they tax and borrow. Now, you might be wondering if the government doesn't need to raise taxes in order to spend, what's the purpose of taxes? And Kelton define identifies four reasons for taxation. Um, as we already highlighted, to incentivize production and allow governments to provision themselves, taxes give value to an otherwise worthless, cur- uh, worthless bit of paper by requiring payment in it. In turn, that achieves the objective of getting us to produce things. Um, the second one is to manage inflation. Uh, too much overall spending, public and private, pro- uh, pushes up prices. Taxes are one lever to control total spending in the economy. Um, let's say a government spends a euro into the economy and then taxes that same euro back. It basically retires that euro and it's no longer in circulation. To redistribute wealth and income, taxes uh, can help um, redress stagnation and rising inequality. It's important that uh, you know there's a level playing field because if the participants believe that it's balanced in favor of some, it, it can cause conflict. Um, and finally, to encourage or discourage certain behaviors. So, for example, taxes can discourage damaging actions for the environment. Um, if they want people to smoke less, etc. You, you understand. Anyway, moving on, we'll go on to the second um, key takeaway, which is the myth of overspending. And in Ireland, you often read in papers about how are we going to fund the state pension? But instead, and the solution that they propose is to continuously extend the retirement age. But under a system where there's uh, a coordination between fiscal and monetary policy this isn't an issue um, unfortunately the monetary system of the eu it is an issue as our government has no control over the issuance of the euro that's done at the european central bank level where it was once done at the central bank or at the level of the central bank of ireland when we were is- issuing the punt um, but once you forgo the rights to control your own currency the question of how are we going to afford it becomes much more a much more realistic question but not so much if you're a currency issuer because you just you literally just create the currency if you're a currency issuer there is no financial or fiscal constraints and there should be no question of how you can afford it because you just print Uh, but that's not the same as saying you can print endlessly because you can afford everything there are two real constraints to how much a government can spend and they are inflation and the real resources available to an economy, such as skilled staff, raw materials, land, etc. If a nation continuously spends after all real resources have been maximized and are operating at full capacity, then there's a real fear of inflation, and that's when the limit is hit. So let's look at COVID as an example. Trillions and billions in stimulus packages were instantly available. Under times of crisis, the government just prints. And if we were still under the gold standard, there would be a lot more hardship during COVID, a lot more 
homelessness, job losses, starvation. Why? Because the government wasn't able to print money to provide stimulus, to keep people in their homes, to keep people fed. And and it's all because it was this self-imposed constraint of keeping, uh, say, the currency pegged to to gold. And that's why gold standards fail. Um, to quote directly from the book, um, under the Bretton Woods system, the federal budget had to be fairly tightly controlled to protect the nation's gold reserves. Today, we have a purely fiat currency. That means the government no longer promises to convert dollars into gold. As such, the US can spend without constraint. And currently, the misconception in regards to overspending under monetary sovereign nations restricts a country from flourishing uh, because the because it has idle resources lying around that could be utilized but aren't because the political thinking is that fiscal it's fiscally irresponsible to run large deficits when in reality not maximizing your real resources is irresponsible. Um, and think about it, like what policies would you create knowing that the only constraint was inflation and the real resources available? I think about it, free healthcare and education for all, better pay for teachers and nurses, maximize unused land and amplify property development, no debate of how to fund the pension pot. And what happens when inflation becomes an issue? You raise taxes and remove the funds from the system. It's pretty mind-blowing when you think about it, but the biggest hurdle to having, to even effectively or correctly utilizing the system we have now is conventional thinking and it needs to be broken. It's actually the reason why Bitcoin has such a large following, but I believe that Bitcoiners are wrong for the reasons highlighted by the MMT community. The only hurdle to MMT is politics and gold standard thinking. Finally, uh, we'll address the last point, which is the truth about national debt. Um, So I suppose the question would be, why would a nation issue treasuries to borrow if it's not fiscally constrained? like thinking about it like it could just print money why does it need to borrow per se in reality the government isn't borrowing this money as conventional thinking may have you believe once you understand that a nation a nation can issue its own currency it has no fiscal constraint you'll understand it's not borrowing so what is it doing issuing or treasuries um so government debt aka treasuries uh should be viewed as another form of currency one that yields an interest return as stephanie kelton refers to in the book you have currency, which is green paper, and then you have debt, which is yellow paper. Another form of currency, but with a, a, a different function. A government that borrows in its sovereign currency, for example, the UK, US, Japan, can always maintain the condition of interest on debt being below the economy's growth rate. Why? Because it doesn't have to accept the market rate of interest. As its debt is in its own currency, it can always overrule market sentiment. Under MMT, it's Therefore, inflation, not the relationship between interest rates and growth rates that matter. Going back to the example laid out in soft currency economics we mentioned earlier, um, on, uh, uh, sorry, earlier on the podcast, it lets us illustrate the concept of national debt. So the paper continues on in that example of the parent and child. To illustrate the nature of the federal debt under the fiat monetary system, the model of the family currency could be taken a step further. Suppose the parent offers to pay an overnight interest rate uh, on the outstanding business cards payable in more business cards the children might want to hold on to some of the business cards among uh, and to use among themselves for convenience extra cards not needed for the overnight inter-sibling transactions would probably be deposited with the parent that is the parent would have borrowed back some of the business cards from the children the business card deposits are the national debt at, that the parent owes 
The reason for borrowing is to support the minimum overnight lending rate by giving the holders of the business cards to place a place to earn interest. The parent might decide to pay uh, a high rate of interest to encourage saving and discourage borrowing and spending. Conversely, a low rate may encourage borrowing and spending and discourage saving. In any case, the amount of cards lent to the parent each night will generally equal the number of cards that the parent has spent but not taxed. That's the parent's deficit. Should the government choose to pay off all its debts owed, uh, they would simply issue non-interest-bearing currency for, as I mentioned, the green paper to replace the treasuries, i.e. the yellow paper. At the end of the day, a currency is simply just a form of scorekeeping that the government uses to achieve the outcome that they desire. A currency issuer does not need the currency that they issue, but they need the votes of the people who use the currency to gain legal authority to spend that currency that to spend the currency currency that they issue, um, and that's money for you. <laughs> a long-winded uh, way of, of uh, explaining money, but um, it's important. I don't think it's it's talked a lot um, among economists, and even Dave McWilliams mentioned it on his podcast that uh, many economists aren't aware of what money actually is. It's a it's a fascinating technology when you actually kind of stop to think about it and. I think there's going to be a bigger discussion about it going forward, especially uh, with the conflict between the Bitcoin community and the MMT community. But look, I'm open-minded to it. You know, this this is the system that we operate in now. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Is there hurdles to correctly implementing it? Yes, I've outlined them in this podcast. Um, could there be a better system than the one we have now? Um, possibly. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, don't know what the future holds, you know. On that note, I think we'll leave it there. Honestly, this is a fantastic book of monetary operations and it's written for the average Joe. In fact, a a big shout out to Stephanie Kelton. She really knocked it out of the park. And it also got an honorable mention a while back from Ice Cube. Um, I think the tweet he put up was, uh, we live in a world where money does grow on trees. (laughs) So um, yeah, it's a great book. Uh, There's there's still so much as well in it that I've not covered here, um, such as particular policies like the job guarantee scheme, achieving 100% employment, misconceptions around the trade deficits and much more. Um, so I definitely recommend you pick it up. I'll leave the, the link in the description of this episode. But anyway, I want to say thanks for tuning in this week. Um, Gavin didn't join me for this week's episode because he's doing his own book review next week. And then we'll have another um, Magnate uh, member on then for the following week. So again, thanks for tuning in. And again, if you want to be notified of when these podcasts go up you can subscribe to the newsletter to be a link in the description you can follow us on facebook instagram tiktok linkedin and myself and gavin personally on twitter um but that's all for now and we'll we'll catch in the next one thanks for listening to the kickstart garage this show is for entertainment purposes only this show is for entertainment purposes only no one on the show has provided investment advice the information provided by the kickstart garage podcast should not be construed as investment advice the opinions and views expressed on the kickstart garage podcast or those of the participants do not reflect those of the host or sponsors the kickstart garage its producers sponsors hosts and guests shall not be liable for losses resulting from the investment decisions based upon the opinions or viewpoints presented on the kickstart garage